If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Should you murder your own brothers? Maybe cousins too? Do you think that is a solution to your problems? Probably not, right? Probably horrified by the thought of it. I would certainly hope so. Hang on, we'll come back to that. 
We've talked a lot about the Roman Empire. Today, we are not talking about the Roman Empire. Today, we're really talking about the Ottoman Empire. But before we get clear to that, let's begin with where exactly we are in the world. The Roman Empire reached its height after Christ, after all the nonsense, reached its height at one point where they controlled everything in the Mediterranean. I mean, gosh, they were in Britain. They were, they were king dog. And as empires do, you peak, they peaked, and thus began a slow, steady decline. Does not happen all at once. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Depends on the circumstances when it comes to nations. If you've studied at all these empires who rise and fall. Some will be at their peak. I mean, it really happened big time with the Achaemenid Persians. They were rocking and rolling and all of a sudden they're just freaking gone. But in order to just be freaking gone like that, you need an Alexander the Great who helps push you along. You know, the Persians were going to be fine. They were just going to slowly, steadily decline, and people were going to chip away at them. And then all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, there's this beast (laughs) who cannot be stopped. So if you're going to decline rapidly when you're a super powerful nation, you really need another superpower to nudge you along militarily most of the time. And the Roman Empire didn't have that at this time. Eventually, the barbarians would start chipping away at them. These these steppe tribes would start swooping in. But at some point, the Roman Empire splits. Right down the middle. Well, kind of right down the middle. But it becomes a Western Roman Empire and an Eastern Roman Empire. The Western Roman Empire would eventually fall. The Eastern Roman Empire would pretty much completely remake itself and rise again. You've maybe heard of the Byzantine Empire. Chris, you're an idiot. You've even heard of the Byzantine Empire. That is the Eastern Roman Empire. That's an extension of ancient Rome. They broke off. They didn't fall like the Western Roman Empire fell. They remade themselves. They were a nation that spoke Greek. They were a Christian nation. Much of the thing, many of the things you see today when it comes to the church and various things really comes from this era. They were unquestionably the greatest empire of that time. And they rose, and it was, you know, Constantinople, that's where what we're talking about today. Modern-day Istanbul, Turkey, if you're wondering where that is, that became their capital, and it was supposed to, at the height of the Byzantine Empire, supposed to be absurdly amazing. They built a church there under orders that it be the greatest church in the world, and also be finished as quickly as possible. I realize those two things can be difficult. They finished the church, and reportedly, I don't know, I can't speak to the accuracy of this, supposedly the church had 
the nails Jesus was crucified with in it and the cross itself. This thing was supposed to be awesome. It still exists in Istanbul today. It's a museum. I've never been there. I've never been to Turkey. I'd like to go one day, maybe once Turkey doesn't suck. <laughs> what, Chris? You can make fun of other countries. So the Eastern Roman, Empire, Eastern Roman Empire rises, becomes the Byzantine Empire. And you have this wonderful city called Constantinople. And part of building up Constantinople meant doing this. It meant making the city absolutely impregnable. And here's the weird thing about it. They did for a long time. They built up walls, defenses, and the water played a key part of this. I want you to do me a favor. If you're in a place to do so, you know, we do this sometime. I want you to do me a favor and pull up a map of Istanbul, Turkey. And what you'll see is this. If you're not on a map, allow me to explain it to you as best I can. All right, you've got Italy. All right, I, I say that because it's easiest for people to understand because everyone can picture Italy, that big cowboy boot. Now move to the right, move east, and you see Greece there. You got Greece? See what I'm talking about? Just south of Greece, you have the Mediterranean, obviously the Mediterranean. Now, right to the east of Greece is the Aegean Sea. If you keep cruising northeast up through the Aegean Sea, you will see if you're zoomed out on your map, it looks like it's landlocked. It is not. Zoom in. Eventually, you will find yourself just southwest of the Black Sea. You will see Istanbul. Now, zoom in on Istanbul on your little map. What is it? It is not just a city on this little peninsula connecting Europe and Asia. It is a gigantic gate. Look at the Black Sea for me for a moment. Look at all the nations connecting the Black Sea. Now imagine, remember how big the trade is back in the day. Imagine. You want to sail a ship from anywhere in the world and get it through the Black Sea. Where are you passing through? Istanbul. It is not only the connection with that little strait between Asia and Europe. It is a major trade route. It is, as I said, controlling the gates of trade. So they very wisely set up their capital city here, fortified it, and the empire rose. It's not as if the Eastern Roman Empire or the Byzantine Empire just existed and kind of limped along for a few years. No, 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 no. They remade themselves in their own distinct culture with a lot of Roman influence and rose. Dominant, dominant power. We'll do a ton of things on them one day. But again, empires rise and empires fall. All of them. We are no exception. Which brings us to the 1400s, specifically the 1450s. Now, remember, the Byzantine Empire was doing just fine for a long 
long time. We're talking the year 395 to 1453. So I don't mean to just sweep right through them. If this, Well, they were a little blip on the radar. Um, any American in their right mind would happily sign up for in a thousand-year empire right now. That's how long they lasted. So I'm browsing. I'm just breezing right past them today as if they're nothing. They were not nothing. They were major, major. But an empire is beginning to rise in the east. Hang on. Listening to the Jesse Kelly Show. You're welcome. I know what you go through at night when you can't sleep. I have been there, and people who can sleep will never fully get what it's like to not sleep. How the days blend into each other, how you progressively get worse and worse and worse. I mean, at some point in time, you get physically sick. Because your body's not getting the rest it needs. It takes the life out of you. Literally takes the life out of you. Stop. There's a solution out there. I've been telling you about it for a long time, and it's EbSleep. Buy one of these things. You can try it risk-free for 60 days. It's a wearable device that will calm those thoughts down and put you asleep and keep you asleep. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse for 25 bucks off. Start sleeping. An empire is rising in the east. As the Byzantine Empire is crumbling. And this this crumbling of the Byzantine Empire was a long time coming. Didn't happen overnight. Happened the way all kind of empires crumble. Slowly, over time, internal rot. Lose a little territory here. Get a bad ruler or five here. Europe is ripping each other. They're ripping each other to shreds right now. This is the era of the Crusades and the popes and kings. You have insane kings. I'll do a whole show on him one time. Charles the Glass or Charles the Mad, whichever way you want to put it, actually thought he was made of glass. Legitimate mental illness. Speaking of which, we're going to get to one of those here in just a couple minutes. But legitimate mental illness as the king of a nation, can you imagine what would happen to a nation? And the Ottoman Empire in the East rises. The Ottoman Empire is a Muslim empire. Now, that matters to a lot of people today, but believe me when I tell you, it doesn't matter even a fraction as much today as it meant back then. 
This was the era when men believed you arm everybody in society and you go die if that's what it takes to take back this holy city or that holy city. Wars were holy religious wars back then sometimes. At least that's how they were sold. Don't get me wrong. Lots of these wars. We got to take this back for Christ. We have to take this for Allah. It's weird how many kings and sultans ended up a lot richer after these whole things. Not that I'm saying anything. Be real, real careful. This is a quick side note. Be real careful how things are sold to you. Tell me if that sounds familiar at all today. Be very careful how movements are sold to you. Oftentimes, that's not really what they're selling. Anyway, so this empire rises in the east. And the Ottoman Empire is rising as Europe is crumbling and ripping each other apart. And the Ottoman Empire is a hungry, hungry empire of conquest. This is not an empire that just wants to sit down and have their Muslim country here and be left alone. No, they believe they are supposed to own it all. So they begin to slap around everybody. They begin to push into Europe. Europe can't really do much about it at this time because there's not one power that can take on the Ottoman Empire. Yes, they could all join up and fight off the Ottoman Empire, but the problem is when can Europe ever join up? They'll join for a year or two and then somebody will offend someone else's daughter and then they're killing. They're always fighting each other all the time. That didn't get, in, that didn't get invented with World War I, by the way. Why do you think Washington was so adamant about staying out of Europe's wars in his farewell address? That's a little ways before World War I and II. He was all, these freaking Europeans, man, are always go, going at each other for some reason. Just stay out of the whole thing. And the Ottoman Empire sets its sights, as you can imagine, on Byzantium. Now, By now, the Byzantine Empire pretty much is Byzantium. There is no more wide control. They own a little of this, a little of that. They have this great fortified city, but they don't have really any money. They don't have the troops. All they can do now is basically be a vassal state to the Ottomans, and the Ottomans get this 19-year-old kid take over as Sultan. And the whole of Europe takes a little sigh of relief, convincing themselves this 19-year-old kid is going to be an idiot. He's going to be what a 19-year-old kid usually is. Only here's the problem. Oftentimes, it's not an age thing. There are plenty of 19-year-old kids who are extremely capable, smart human beings. And this 19-year-old kid who took over the Ottoman Empire happened to be Mehmed II. Mehmed II spoke like seven languages at the age of 19. (laughs) This is not some immature, snot-nosed little brat. This was an extremely capable human being. Now, which brings us... To the problem. 
an interesting problem. As they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. The Byzantines, they don't have any money. They don't have a lot of money. I mean, they've got enough. They certainly don't have enough money for military conquests and things like that. You're at this point, you're just trying to have enough troops to defend yourself and maintain your empire, maintain some order. And so an engineer approaches the big cheese, Constantine the 11th. He's the head of the Byzantine Empire at this time. And this engineer approaches him and says, hey, I have something you might be interested in. And Constantine says, well, I'd love to hear it. I'm making up this whole conversation, by the way. And the engineer says, how about a big freaking gun? Now, there are cannons already in existence. Understand that. There are cannons in existence. And Constantine says, well, what do I want with a big gun? And this guy says, no, 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 you don't understand. I have a big, big gun. A big cannon that will shoot a cannonball that weighs a ton. And it'll shoot it a mile. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, but that is so much bigger than anything in existence at that time. And Constantine says, thanks, but no thanks. What use do I have for a cannon of that size? Well, you're an engineer. You've spent some serious time and hard work designing this super weapon. If Constantine the 11th says no... Do you think you're going to go back to your little shop and say, well, it was a good shot. I guess my million-dollar idea will just have to go to the ash heap of history. Or do you think you're going to go looking for another buyer? Yeah, he went looking for another buyer. Guess who decided he was a buyer? The engineer finds himself in front of Mehmed II says, hey, look at this thing. Mehmed II says, oh, yeah, um, do they come in bulk? And eventually you find yourself as Constantine the Eleventh, facing down the very guns you refuse to purchase because Mehmed II decides he's going to go ahead and take Byzantium. Constantine the Eleventh is asking Europe for help. Europe says, ah! We'll pray for you. They began knocking down your walls. Now, here's something you do need to know if you're rooting for the Byzantine Empire, which many of my listeners will because it's human nature. You root for who you view as your team, right? I'm sure my Muslim listeners are probably rooting for the Ottomans. My Christian listeners are rooting for the Byzantines. That's, that's how we view history. And that's human nature. You don't have to feel bad about that. I used to watch the major golf tournaments with my dad when I was a kid. And we weren't golf freaks, but any time you can spend with your father as a kid, you treasure. And he's watching, you know, the PGA, the U.S. Open. And I'd always ask my dad, Dad, who are we rooting for? We're rooting for the Americans. <laughs> that's, that's all there is to it. We root for Americans. Screw those Europeans. Screw the Japanese. We root for America. Hang on.
So they pull out the old mega cannon against these formerly impregnable walls of Constantinople. And yeah, those walls are all of a sudden very pregnable. Is that a word, Chris? Impregnable, there should be a pregnable, right? Is that a dirt? I didn't just say a dirty word, is it? It might be dirty. All right, I'm not saying it again. I'm not saying it again. But you know what I mean? This thing hammer houses those walls, and it's not one of those scenarios where you think you pull out the big guns and it just bounces harmlessly. Oh, no, the walls crumble. In one day, a big part of the wall gets exposed. Mehmed II orders his troops in only... Understand this, if you're a fan of the Byzantine Empire, this siege does not make them look bad. They fight off the guys who try to fight through and build the wall back overnight. Now, they didn't build up the wall as it looked before. That's a major construction project. They would do things like take all the rubble from the crumbled wall, stack it, And then put a bunch of cloth and wool and things in it so when they shot it again with the cannon, it would dull it and it wouldn't explode. You know, when it hits a soft surface, it helps. And this continued day after day after day. The Ottomans would shell a section of the wall. It would crumble. They would try to attack. The Byzantines would fight them off like warriors. Repair it overnight. Now, Mehmed II is not a man who's just going to go away. He is also dealing very, very, very harshly with people he captures. He wants the city. He wants it intact. He wants to make it the capital of his empire. This isn't just a random city. Like I told you before, this place is important. He wants it. He wants it badly. So he keeps sending in, you know, people, hey, surrender the city. We'll at least let the women and kids live. He didn't even pretend he was going to let the men live. I mean, look, the women and kids will be fine. You, well, no, not you, not so much. They keep saying no. In the face of certain death against this massive army and their huge guns, they keep saying no. Mehmed II even goes and conquers a couple little mini Byzantine forts brings back the guys he captures and impales them in front of the city walls in front of Constantinople or Byzantium, whichever you want to call it, same city. Even still, they say no. So, remember that map? Pull up your map again of Istanbul today. It's it's the only way to search it. All right, Istanbul, let me see here. Pull up the map again. There is... What do you see when you look at that strait? There's a harbor, isn't there? There's a big harbor in there. Now, Istanbul, in order to defend it, you'll see it's called the Golden Horn if you're looking at it. You'll see it. Istanbul's sitting there. There's a harbor. They know they can't have somebody get on that side of the harbor. You essentially can't allow the enemy ships in the harbor or you're going to be defending your city from multiple sides and you won't be able to stand. They can maybe muster the manpower to patch up the walls on one side. You can't do it on other sides. 
So they try to ram, the, the Ottomans try to ram their ships into this chain of ships that the Byzantines have set up in the harbor. They essentially set up a big chain of ships so you can't get through because we know we have to hold this at all costs. The Ottomans cannot get through that chain of ships, and so they went home. No, they didn't go home. The Ottomans, again, are not incapable dollared barbarians. They have some of the most brilliant minds of the ancient world. Mehmed II goes to his brilliant engineers and says, find a way around it. The engineers come back and say, well, we're not going to ram through the ships. Here's what we're going to do. And in a construction project that I would honestly have loved to see people pull off back in the day with this level of technology, they laid down steel rails and wheels, and they simply sailed up to the chain, then pulled the boats on shore and railed the boats past the chain and dropped them back in the water in the harbor on the other side. I know. I know. I know, Chris. I, I just When I heard this story, I was like, wait, what? Like, I can't even picture it. Maybe somebody's come up with a picture of it somewhere. Long story short. They fall. If you're wondering about Constantine the 11th, to his credit, I don't know anything about the man. Maybe he was a great man. Maybe he was a bad man. To his credit, during the heat of the fighting, when the city was falling, threw on his sword and threw himself into the meat of the battle and was never seen again. He went down. Now the Ottoman Empire takes over. Now, we're talking a couple hundred years past the Ottoman Empire, and for this, I'm not going to apologize to you because you know I don't do that, but I should note that we're a little ways into the show, and I got distracted several times because all this stuff fascinates me, and right about now, we're just getting to the thing I actually wanted to talk about today. (laughs) Sorry, Chris, what? Look, it's all crappy news. I can talk about history if I want. It's my show. 877-377-4373 is the number, by the way. 877-377-4373. They throw themselves into it. Ottomans take over. They now rule this place. They rule this place with an iron fist, and they are a mega, mega empire, extremely powerful. And they have one man in charge of the Ottoman Empire, and he's always set up here in this city. And the thing about the Ottomans is this. They're a powerful empire, an intelligent empire, like I said, great engineers, wealthy, fascinating, great architecture. But they have this huge flaw that they never seemed to be able to figure out, in my word, You want to talk about flaws. It's really, really bad. They don't seem to be able to figure out the whole succession thing. Now, there have been a million stories of succession of the throne throughout history of backstabbing and murder. This guy wants the throne and that guy wants the throne. But the Ottomans seem to have actually perfected this dysfunction in a unique way they would just murder everyone 
Every time somebody took over as Sultan, he would murder all of his brothers and cousins every single time. And part of the reason it was so rampant in the Ottoman Empire was this. They thought, remember my question in the beginning about murdering your brothers and cousins, the Ottomans swore, maybe not wrongly, the Ottomans swore this was actually the greater good. This was actually a mercy to take over as king and kill all of your brothers and cousins. Because if you do not, then your brothers and cousins will find armies, will find loyalties, and will fight and understand for a long time the the Ottomans, maybe this was part of the problem, they did not do the thing where the king would die and they hand the throne to the oldest son. So you already knew there was a line of succession. The king would have tons of sons. The sons would then be sent out into the world. Why did they send them out into the world? I'll explain in a second. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. It's a dangerous world. And this dangerous world has online criminals now. And we don't think about it that way, right? We think about things in a more old school way. A criminal, ah, somebody hold me up at gunpoint. Wants my wallet. In this day and age, some of your biggest criminals out there is some computer nerd in a basement somewhere with powerful, powerful access to information, your information. Did you know every single thing you do online, everything your kids do, everything connected to the Internet in your home, a person at your Internet service provider can see it? That's right. Even that private browser page, they can see all of it. That should creep you out if you knew the things people can do with that information. Go to expressvpn.com slash jesse. That's expressvpn.com slash jesse. That gets you three months free on a one-year package. Secure your internet. You get an Ottoman Sultan. He's a big cheese. He has a harem, which we're going to get to in a second. In fact, that's going to be central to our story. Don't worry. It's not going to be dirty. But part of a harem means you're going to end up having children, several of them. When you have sons as an Ottoman sultan, you send them out to act as governors to various parts of your empire for a bunch of reasons. One, you want people loyal to you out there. Two, they need to learn how to govern. They need to learn how to be in charge, which was a really great system. Except it didn't combine well with the system of not appointing the oldest. Remember, every system has a give and take. You can say, oh, that's good. It's just the most capable, not the oldest. Well, how do you think they decided the most capable once dad died? 
What do you think the sons who knew dad was going to die one day, what do you think they were doing when they were out there governing the whole time? Well, they were making sure it wasn't their heads going to be on the chopping block when dad died. So they're creating political allegiances, creating military allegiances. Dad dies. We now have a survival of the fittest situation yet again, and we're all going to murder each other yet again until one guy emerges and then the cycle repeats as he gets his own harem and starts cranking out boys. You see, not a great system. And so the Ottomans decided they were going to start fixing this system. When one son takes over, he's going to slaughter everybody he knows, every relative. Then we never have to worry about it. Because once they take power, oftentimes the brother who didn't win would just have his brother assassinated and then take power. So now it was a system. You take power, you kill all your brothers and cousins. Problem? Kind of solved? I don't want to be mean here. I'm not trying to be a a bloodthirsty tyrant, but it did kind of solve the problem. But it did make the people feel gross. They were a religious people, and it made people feel gross. Plus, lots of times, these brothers and cousins, they were people, they were men some of the people followed, right? If you got a city of 100,000 people, 10,000 were with this brother, 10,000 were with that brother, so on and so forth. Well, if, if your guy loses and your guy gets his head cut off, you're going to be a little bitter about that. So eventually they they decided they needed a new system. Well, here's the thing. I just took power. I defeated all my brothers and cousins and such. I can't murder them. But as history has proven, the ones who didn't get murdered will just turn around and plot my assassination. So I can't murder them. I can't throw them in a dungeon. I can't. I can't just let them roam around free either. So what to do, what to do, which brings me back to the harem. The harem is an interesting thing in the Ottoman Empire. It was part of, uh, I'm not going to say this right, screw you, I went to community college. It's called Topkapi Palace. That was the main palace. It was supposed to be an absurdly beautiful palace. That was the headquarters of the sultan. And part of the palace was the harem. Now, part of the harem was what you think it was. Concubines and or wives, oftentimes those two worlds merged that existed to make the king's day a little better. That was part of it. That was not all of it in the Ottoman Empire. In fact, you can argue that's not even the main part of it. Yes, there were slaves and eunuchs and everything else, but it was pretty much a college. They would take some of the most beautiful women from around the empire, from all the different cultures, They would take them into the harem, but not necessarily for the king. Yes, some of them for the king, but they would take this beautiful Russian girl. They would bring her in because she's beautiful, and what they would do is they would train her. They would educate her. She'd be learning mathematics. She'd be learning philosophy. And what they were doing was they were grooming beautiful women, educating beautiful women, 
to serve as wives for other powerful men in society. If you're a big shot in Ottoman society and you want some dime who can actually hold a conversation, you go knock on the king's door, the sultan's door, and you say, yo, I have got a thing for Polish girls. What do you got? And they have all these apartments as part of the harem of women who had not been servicing the king. These are women who had been educated. It was, you're eating well, you're educated well. It was actually a really great life. And, and I'm not trying to defend the practice, but understand this. If you were brought in as a slave girl for the king, you wanted, very much so, you wanted to catch the eye of the king. Once you had caught the eye of the king and he finished the job, you actually rose in rank. There was a ranking system. You were, for the most part, not abused. It was the good life. You were putting on a little extra lipstick and some heels. Hang on. Everybody remembers that horrible story I told you about dropping my phone on the bathroom floor, the public bathroom floor. It's, ugh, it still gives me the shivers thinking about it. But I had a bailout that day, and it's a clean phone pro. You see, a clean phone pro gives you UVC lights that kill 99.9% of the bacteria on your phone. I don't have to dunk my phone in hand sanitizer and ruin it. I don't have to shrug it off. I can just disinfect my phone at any time. And it's not just for people who drop their phone on a bathroom floor. Your phone is probably absolutely disgusting. Start disinfecting it now and then. You need to go to AmericaFirstShop.com. Again, that's AmericaFirstShop.com. Search the Clean Phone Pro there and buy one. And oh, Use the promo code JESSE at checkout. You get free two-day FedEx shipping. Again, the life of a woman in the harem, for the most part, was a great life. It was what you wanted. You wanted to get snatched out of some crappy little village in Russia. Uh, you want me to go to the harem? Absolutely. Sign me up. You think the king will like my hair? But there was another part of the harem as well. This part, I'm sure there are examples of this in human history. But I haven't found one. If you have one, feel free to email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, I'm sure there are examples of this, but it's I just find it really fascinating. They found a solution to the, well, I can't kill my brother and I can't set him free thing. The solution was a golden cage. Let's just keep him alive. We'll feed him well. But we'll put him in solitary confinement in the harem with a comfortable bed. But that 
that really creates some problems. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. You see, the problem is... The human mind was created to need companionship. This goes way, way back to the Bible, even the Old Testament, which Jewish producer Chris believes in. God creates Adam. What's he say? Needs a companion. Gives him Eve. The feeling of loneliness wrecks the human mind. I've told you before, I'm not going to tell it again, I think I just told it last week, about the reason Marines create fighting holes with two people instead of one, even though one would make more strategic sense, because you don't want to feel alone. When it comes to children, do you know that statistically, a child turns out better if it has a father stay at home and abuse them God forbid, I can't believe people do that to their freaking little buddies, but and abuse them rather than leave them. I'm talking about statistically how the child turns out. If he leaves on his own behalf, that feeling of abandonment, of loneliness, wrecks a kid. Wrecks him. Solitary confinement has been used and is used by prisons as a unique punishment And isn't it amazing? On the outside looking in, I know some of you have had this same thought. You're looking at this horrible prison, right? Any any prison. You're surrounded by some of the most violent people in society. Gangs, gang wars, stabbings, all the horrible things that go on in prison. And they're scared to death of being put in solitary confinement. And on the outside looking in, it looks weird. I've always looked at it and thought, well, that's exactly where I'd want to be. I think I just want to hang out by myself. But they're scared to death. Because it's torture. They'd rather be around rapists and murderers all day long than be by themselves. It's horrible. And so what they would do is you would create a golden cage and you would leave possible other successors to the throne by themselves or essentially by themselves. You'd see other people bring you food now and then. You do this or that, but for the most part, you're alone. 
you're not out in the world like they used to do, learning how to govern, learning human nature, talking with this person, talking with that person. You're alone and oftentimes alone from a very early age, which brings us to Ibrahim the first. He not only was alone in this golden cage for a very, from a very early age, all four of his brothers were executed. Finally, Ibrahim, under the impression that he's about to be executed, finds out or hears that the sultan is dead and now he's about to be sultan. He is crazy by now. He's so scared and insane, he doesn't believe that the sultan is dead, refuses to let anyone in, bars his door closed, will not come out and accept that he's now the sultan until his mother brings down the dead body of the of the sultan and shows him, look, he's dead. You really are the sultan. It's not a trick. Come out. And this man takes over, and he's a complete and utter disaster. He has no ability to rule. He has no know-how. He is insane. His mother knows he's insane. He has no heirs. So his mother encourages this insane person to start spending some significant periods of time in that special wing of the harem. Might might call it the fun part of whatever. So he does. He starts producing sons. And he starts to really fall in love with some of the ladies in the harem, some of the slave girls, and fall in love. When I say fall in love, I mean giving them major positions of power in the country. He would send out memos to the entire nation that he wanted sable skins so he could create palaces for them, all covered in sable skins. One of his concubines at one point came and told him that she prefers to shop at night, not during the day, He sends out a memo and makes every shop stay open 24 hours a day as if it's 7-Eleven. The guy was just nuts. He does all the things a crazy ruler does. He abuses people. You remember the abuse I said didn't happen in the harem? It started to happen under him. Raises taxes, alienates everybody, and in maybe the craziest story ever that I'm going to have a very difficult time telling, Ibrahim I, he had a thing for big women. And when I say had a thing for, I mean preferred them big, and the bigger the better. I don't mean a little extra junk in the trunk. I mean the bigger the better. And, man. How am I going to tell this? I should have thought about this before I got on there. He saw a female cow one day. He saw the equipment of the female cow. I know, Chris. Look, I'm the one that has to talk about it, okay? Do you think I'm enjoying it over here? I'm relaying the story. He decided he would prefer if he had a young lady that possessed that. So he created a cast of that part of the female cow and multiple copies, by the way, and sent these copies throughout the empire 
in search of a woman who possessed similar equipment. He uh, actually found one. Apparently, she weighed over 300 pounds, which I understand is big. I'm not judging you if that's you. But understand, if you're somebody who weighs over 300 pounds in this era, era this is not the McDee's right next door era. Nobody weighed 300 pounds back then. But nevertheless, he tracked one down, brought her in, and she proceeds to basically have everybody killed, tells him one of his ladies has been getting involved with an outsider. He has all of them, I believe there were 280, tied up in sacks and thrown in the river. Eventually, he is deposed. He is executed. Now, I circle back again to my question in the beginning about the brother murder. Obviously, you don't need to be murdering your brother, and I hope nobody ever does. But understand this. When you face large-scale problems as a society, here's the hard truth of it especially when those large-scale problems are entrenched, when they are rooted in your society, not something surface, not something that comes and goes, when you face something on a large scale, there's not a comfortable way to have those problems removed. There's not a topical ointment you can put on for a couple days and have those problems removed. Those problems have to be cut out deeply. And when you cut out problems deeply, it hurts. It hurts badly. But if the problem is killing you, what choice do you have? Hang on. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two, be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE that gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.